Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. You almost want to ask the NHL for more time between the draft and free agency. Partially so people can obviously rest. Partially so every NHL front office can go park at Tootsie's and, and drink their heart away. Partially so Evan can get his notes ready for the uh, the draft recap episode we're recording right now. Yeah. I think everyone could just use the the breather and the time to set. Like the whiplash from talking about prospects and players you're not going to see for two, three years to hey, who is your team going to sign that's going to play for you in three months? Like that is, that's quite a bit. All the more reason to start the season a little bit earlier on uh, the front end. You're like a September start of the season guy? Oh yeah, playing into June, not my not my thing. I'm pretty surprised that NHL players haven't really pushed on that one. Yeah, me too a little bit. They're yeah. all closet golfers. Not even closet. I think, uh, who is it? Anthony Mantha, who is like a scratch golfer. Oh, he might be a, he's a scratch player too. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta wait until like 45 minutes into the episode before oh. peaking, man. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Biggest episode of the year and people are going to think this is what it's like. <laughs> we are not that funny all the time. I'll settle down. I'll settle down. Yeah, much appreciated. Brad, how are you doing after the draft? I'm doing okay. Yeah. Uh, if we're focusing on just what's going on in the hockey world, I'm doing great. Yeah, but you got, uh, you're moving for, you know, we're talking about Evan brought his laptop and that means Evan's really dedicated this episode. I want everyone to know Brad is literally moving houses right now. He is on like, what, a 30-ish hour clock to be out your door with all your stuff just about Uh, there? From the time we have the truck actually rented and to the point where I'll be loading stuff in, what time is it now? About 7, 10 p.m. Okay, I got 14 hours. Well. And we're doing, <laughs> and he is here to record one of our biggest episodes of the year. So just because our lives uh, uh, do things that aren't conducive to recording a draft recap episode doesn't mean we're going to do anything other than record the 2023 NHL draft recap episode. Folks, welcome to the Winged Wheel podcast, here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, the NHL draft, a full review of every draft pick that the Red Wings made, uh, as well as the trades that happened and didn't happen and so much more. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast, we are, like I mentioned, we're going to be recapping every single player that the Red Wings drafted in the 2023 draft, headlined by Nate Danielson and Axel Sandin Pelica, uh, and capped off by Emmett Finney. Obviously, a lot of picks in there, including three second round picks uh, as well. We'll be talking about the trade wherein Steve Eisenman uh, acquired. Tyler Yamamoto and Klim Costin. No, not the Alex DeBrinket trade that a lot of people were expecting. That one did not materialize on the draft floor. Although I am now in the territory of being anxious that this is going to just drop in the middle of us doing something. So take everything with a big red flag warning that says this may expire by the time you're listening to the show. And we're doing our best out here. Uh, and then we'll talk about the rest of the draft, what uh, Eisman and Draper had to say afterwards and our impressions, draft grades, overall thoughts, ceilings, et cetera, et cetera. Um, This is one of our biggest episodes of the year every year, and it's because it's finally like the culmination of what we've been talking about for months and months and months and months and months, and we now have a 2023 Red Wings draft class. Uh, Before we get started, for those of you who are new to the show, uh, really want you to uh, hear what I'm going to say next, and those of you who have been listening for a while, you'll know this. Uh, This show is almost entirely supported by our Patreon supporters, uh, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast if you want to join the so-called dub dub club 
what it allows us to do is uh, run the show, grow the show, do things like run a nearly five-hour live stream last night, a uh, however many hour, like three, four-hour uh, live hangout with our Patreon supporters today for rounds two through seven. It allows us to uh, expand our content kind of universe with our spinoff show, Expected by Whom, hosted by Prashanth Iyer and Sean Shapiro. Uh, as well, we are um, uh, always in support of the Jamie Daniels Foundation and their fight against substance use disorder. Uh, we host Winged Wheel podcast nights at the LCA in partnership with the Detroit Red Wings. And that's all you know, financed by us. And we're able to do that because of our amazing Patreon supporters. So again, Patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast if you want to support the show. You get a lot of great benefits too. I'll talk about that later. But more on the Jamie Daniels Foundation. The Roast and Toast of Thomas Holmstrom and Nicholas Lidstrom is Saturday, August 26th at 5.30 p.m. at Motor City Casino. As the title implies, there will be a roast of Thomas Holmstrom and a toast of Nicholas Lidstrom because let's be real, it's the perfect human. You can't really roast him. Uh, tickets are on sale now at jamiedanielsfoundation.org. There's different levels of tickets. One of them includes uh, cocktails, hors d'oeuvres, dinner and auction, um, main floor seating, but there's also a different price point uh, if you're looking for something a little bit more affordable. Uh, it is going to sell out fast, and it's going to be an excellent event. We'll be there as well. So again, that's jamiedanielsfoundation.org, Saturday, August 26th at 5.30 p.m. and Motor City Casino, the roast and toast of Thomas Holmstrom and Nicholas Lidstrom. Let's get started with the draft before we get into the trades or anything else. And uh, for those of you who watched the live stream, first of all, I, I think at the time, by the time the stream ended, 19,000 uh, individual views came in. Um, I think at some point there was like 3,500 of you in there watching with us, which was a blast. But uh, the way that first round shook out wasn't completely wild in terms of all the players that went in and around the first round that we predicted, especially the top 20 or to 25 or so. But there were a couple shocks in there, and the Red Wings pick, I wouldn't qualify as one of the shocks, but it didn't kind of feed into that spillover effect, that cascading effect that we might have thought uh, it would have. Uh, that was really headlined by Simashev coming up to the uh, Arizona Coyotes pick. So why don't we start by uh, very quickly how that top 10 shook out, and then we'll talk about the Red Wings picks uh, themselves. So Connor Bedard went first and then Anaheim, not a huge shock, but they surprised by instead of going Liam or, um, Adam Fantilli, they went Leo Carlson. Yeah. Um, we talked about it on the stream, but, uh, very, very big vibes from the 2013 draft compared to this, where it was McKinnon and Jones all year. And then Druen made it interesting. And then at two Florida ended up taking Alex Barkov. You know, this was <laughs> for years, the not years, but for a while, this was going to be the Bedard Michkov draft, and then Fantilli made it interesting, and those were the three ones. And here we have a player in a similar ish mold to Alex Barkov, who jumps up and goes two overall, and obviously that trade that pick worked out phenomenally well for the Panthers. So you know, I wouldn't have taken Carlson; I still would have went Fantilli. Um, you know, given the Michkov circumstances, because Michkov is obviously the second most talented player in the draft, but. You know, it's perfectly justifiable taking Leo Carlson at two. Adam Fantilli fell to Columbus. <laughs> someone, someone sent me something. I think it was from uh, the Heat Daddy Twitter account or one of those kinds of accounts. And it was like, imagine thinking you're moving to like sunny California. You're like, you're a amazing golf, like amazing weather, good community to live in, Orange County, et cetera, et cetera. Then all of a sudden you're going to uh, Columbus, Ohio. 
I've heard Columbus is like a sneaky good place to live. I've heard it's, yeah, a very underrated city. You won't catch me dead saying anything nice about the state of Ohio, but uh, you know what? Fantilli seemed hyped about it. He also started banging the drum right away for Gavin Brindley, which makes sense. Uh, Friend over there at Michigan. They also asked him if uh, him being in Ohio now is going to change anything because he was a Michigan Wolverine, and he said, no, it's it's always going to be go blue, which I respect that a lot. Oh, yeah, I got to stick to what you know. So uh, I, I think Columbus has to be over the moon about Fantilli. I thought the Sharks might be the first team to really take a look at Michkov, um, but they went Will Smith, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I do think they don't have a win-now mentality, and so I thought they might take the talent that Michkov Sorry, they shouldn't have a win-now win mentality. I thought they might take the talent that Michkov could give them in a few years, or maybe less, we'll see. Uh, but they went Will Smith, and that's perfectly fine. I, I have no problem with that pick at all. Yeah, he was likely going three to Columbus if Fantilli didn't fall there. So I, I don't think San Jose was super, super disappointed in the way it played out. Um, you get a guy that should be a highly gifted playmaking number one center. That's never a bad thing. And then Montreal took David Reinbacher. <laughs> Poor Carey Price, man. <laughs> he did own it well on Twitter after. Yeah, I think it's all under water under the, under the bridge now, but... That was painful the moment, man. I'm still mad at everybody standing behind him for not saving him earlier. Yeah, Carey Price makes how many saves for the Montreal <laughs> Canadiens for a decade plus, and they can't make one save for Carey Price? Uh, Mont- Shame. Shame. And when, you know what? I, I maintain the guy who grabbed the mic, I, I can't remember who it was, and said, like, oh, we planned this. And then he said, David Reinbacher, um, just, you should have just whispered it in Carey Price's ear. So yeah. he could have just finished it off and it would have been fun. Anyways, it's not a big deal. It just broke my heart to see Carey Price. You knew he was kicking himself for that. But they took David Reinbacher. And uh, if you want to know how Montreal fans reacted, there's some recordings of like a Twitter space that a bunch of Habs fans were in. <laughs> It would have to be in our uh, Patreon exclusive. I'll, I'll qualify it that way, that kind of language. They um, Some are okay. A lot of people are citing like Mo Sider, like remember the reactions to the Mo Sider pick. And hey, that's very fair. I don't know that there was a Matt Vemichkoff available when Mo Sider was picked for the Red Wings. So. No, there definitely wasn't. Well, Zegris, but he's not on the level of Michkov. Um I'll start by defending Montreal a little bit here in the... F- fact that we've talked about Reinbacher, his offense gets undersold. He's been pigeonholed as this refined defensive defenseman, which don't get me wrong, his defensive game is very refined and he plays a very mature, you know, all over the ice game, but that all over the ice game does include a great transition game and more offense than I think he gets credit for. The most sadder comparisons aren't exactly one-to-one because I've seen some people arguing, well, Leo produced Sider uh, in his draft year at different leagues, and also Sider was a year younger. Reinbacher is a late birthday for this draft, so you would expect a little more production because that comes with age and progression. Um, and right-shot D are, are super, super hard to get. There was really only three premium right-shot D in this draft total. Um, Reinbacher was not my number one rated defenseman in this draft, but he was very close behind. So I absolutely see the thinking on Montreal here because, you know, as time goes on, the more and more I, I I find myself gravitating to the side of, yeah, you really do have to find the premium positions in the draft because they just don't come available. And as we saw with the Dubois trade, even when like a, a above average, I'm not going to even say great, just an above average one becomes available, you have to pay 
a heavy premium. You look at the contracts to Seth Jones, Charlie McAvoy, et cetera, et cetera. You got to pay billions of dollars to get these right-handed defensemen. So if you get one and he's legitimately good, you know, from an asset management standpoint, I understand it. I understand it fully, even if he wasn't close to my best player available at that pick. Now, that being said, I did feel there was a more right, uh, more talented right-handed defenseman available in this draft. And I felt that the gap between the best forwards and the best defensemen in this draft was significant. Mm -hmm. There were much more talented options in Reinbacher at five in my mind. And most of those were at center, which if you're drafting for a premium position, totally fair and understandable. But I feel like the way this draft, the talent in this draft was dispersed, center should have been the play there. Well, Montreal was saved a little bit. Like if you want to criticize the Reinbacher pick, then you have to wonder what Arizona was doing by taking the Russian next. Dmitry Simashev. That was an audible gasp. I, I don't know that we only gasped. I think we said a lot of other things when that happened. Uh, Dmitry Simashev, leading up to the draft, he was someone who, for the Red Wings, I wasn't really high on because left-handed, and I thought with a premium pick at either 9 or 17, I just wasn't keen on dodging one of the primary areas of need in the Red Wings lineup, which was everything but left shot D. And that, like, you could do well with two really, like, top-end left shot D, but they're kind of okay there, and they're bad everywhere else. Uh, so I, I thought, with the amount of talent around, Simashev, I, I just am not sold. But I found that I was underappreciating him as a player because of that. And I watched more, and I watched more, and there was a lot of, there were a lot of smart people who said to me, just go back and watch more. It's a little bit hard to evaluate this guy. He's in Russia. And I do believe he has a chance to be one of the best defensemen out of this draft, if not the best defenseman out of this draft. I just, sixth overall, that to me, that is, you're going to pass off on Michkov, pass up on Michkov, you're going to pass up Leonard, you're going to pass up, you know, Dvorsky, whoever, for Simashev at six. Is it the world's most insane reach? No. I think if Michkov wasn't there, then I could even see an argument for Simashev over Reinbacher. And Arizona said Simashev and Daniil Boot, who they took later, they wanted to play in Arizona. Michkov didn't. So I understand it. I do get it. But talent-wise, that's a big move. Yeah, and again, defense, positional premium. Left side, uh, you know, less so than right side. Okay, fine. But again, I just come back to, there were so many better players available. I think Simashev on my personal board was like 19. And I do appreciate his game. I When I say someone's way off my board, I, I'm not saying they're bad players. Like this is a very, very deep stacked draft. So a guy who I have rated inside the top 20, very, very, very good hockey player. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was... That was something. And, you know, Arizona is in that unique situation of they don't know where they're playing in a few years. So, you know, the Russians tend to be a little slower coming over and that might not be a bad thing. Yeah. Because maybe things are settled for them by the time these guys actually do come over. But again, it comes back to, I just don't think he was close to the best player available. Philly, Danny Briere, they've been pretty open about wanting Michkov from the start. Danny Breer walks up smiling. His life is easy because he gets Matt Vemichkov. You can make a really strong argument that he's going to be the second most talented player out of this draft, and he does it without having to move up from seventh. What a haul for Philly. They probably 
are as happy as Chicago or just a shade underneath walking with Michkov at seventh. Danny Briere is like, man, this GM thing is easy. I'm walking in just drafting the best player, the, the second best player at seventh. What it like, what a turnaround for Philly fans in general. Ryan Leonard went right after at eighth. And in, in my mind, like, there are seven guys where I'm like, I don't think any of these seven are going to make it to Detroit. But if they do, I can see the Red Wings sprinting to the stage. And it's all of the uh, top eight less Dmitry Simashev. He was the the one reach into that range. But everyone else kind of went. There were I'm sure there was a few mocks who had this pretty close or at least close to. I think Corey Promen went five for five to start. And Simashev was what threw it. Promen's been really great in terms of being accurate over the last couple of years with the athletic. Uh, and so Leonard is gone. And so we're at Detroit at nine. Uh, on the stream, we were talking about who he, we would like. Uh, there was uh, Dalibor Dvorsky, who was my highest rated player with uh, Oliver Moore right after. Brad, you were, I think, just a flip, the inverse. Uh, Evan, you were a big Zach Benson guy. Uh, you actually had him hi- as high as five on your list. But as we were talking about who would be likely, we said this could also be the Nate Danielson space if they believe in his offense. This could be, whether you like it or not, like a, a Sam Honzik or a Matthew Wood or even a Sandine Pelica, funny enough. And I didn't notice this until after someone commented. You notice I, I predicted both picks? Yeah. <laughs> You're mad at me for it? No. Sorry. <laughs> uh, and it was uh, ninth overall for the Detroit Red Wings, Nate Danielson. So initial impressions or even impressions now and the player profile. Let's talk about the Red Wings drafting uh, the centerman out of the WHL for the Brandon Wheat Kings. Right shot centerman, I should say. That helps. Um, initial impression was I wasn't thrilled. I wasn't upset. But there was just a handful of players that I liked more than Nate Danielson. Um, that being said, some of them were wingers. One of them was a two. One of them was a defenseman. Um, so, and there were a couple other centers mixed in there, but talking about, you know, if you want that, that true value at the premium positions in the NHL, this is where you got to get them and taking a, a 200 foot Jack of all trades center with good skating, great compete, good skill. You know, the only question with Danielson was why wasn't the offensive output higher mm-hmm. in Brandon? And the question around him for the last two months has been, is it because that ceiling isn't that high or was his team just so damn bad they were dragging him down? And both outcomes were equally likely and both outcomes are still equally likely. But if Danielson hits and the ceiling is as high as the Red Wings think it is, this is a fantastic pick because again, it's a do it all 200 foot center with good to great skating, high compete, a wicked shot and good puck skills. Like (laughs) what's not to like there. It's just, is he going to put it all together in a way that he is a surefire top six. You can win a Stanley cup with this guy as a top six centerman. Like this guy has a chance to get pretty close to what Dylan Larkin is. I don't think, his ceilings where Dylan Larkin is. But, you know, that 70-ish point range, I think, is very much a possibility, albeit not super, super likely. I still foresee him as like a 50 to 60 guy. Um, Obviously hoping I'm wrong on that and the ceiling's much higher. But, yeah, like this is how you win, strength through the middle. And 
I don't know necessarily what order they're going to play in, but if you're three centers, hell, if you want to go four centers for the next however long is Larkin, Danielson, Casper, and Valeno as your 4C, you can win with that. That is depth. That is four centermen who can all skate, compete their ass off, and cover every inch of the ice. There is not a time where the opponents are going to have an easy time against the Detroit Red Wings, no matter what line is on the ace, because of their depth at center. And of course, we're this is the draft. Guys sometimes overperform. Some guy sometimes guys don't pan out as well. Mm-hmm. But the the big one of the big benefits of Danielson is with how refined and complete his game is, the floor is pretty damn high. Yeah, with Nate Danielson, uh, like being very upfront about it, and I said this on the stream, uh, and we put it up after. He wasn't my first pick off the board. Uh, he wasn't. He wouldn't have been my second pick if he went purely by like you know my personal rankings. But something that we've learned over the years as a fan base and in, in coverage uh, covering this team on the podcast is you got to really understand the way lists work. And once you move out of a certain range, and it was a deep range this year, like seven or eight, the lists just get wide open. And this year, especially with the amount of talent that was on the board, I think there was honestly a group of fifteen guys that could have gone at that pick. So I was fully expecting for it to be, you know, someone outside of uh, maybe a top three, but of all the players that I thought would be like acceptable and justifiable and I'd be happy about, there's probably at least 10 or 12 of them. And Danielson was one of them. I, I'm not a practice what I preach person. I wish I was, but I always say to people, you just take best player available, but something that I wanted and and continued to want up until the Danielson pick was like, I need to see a solution at center for the Red Wings. You have Larkin and you have Casper, and that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. That's actually quite, you know, okay at the very worst case scenario for your top six centers. But you really want three guys who could mix in that range. And even if, you know, you don't think Danielson or Casper could be your number one C, if they are both two C guys pretty comfortably, and one of them was playing third line center, then that's perfect. So when they took Danielson, I was really happy that they solved a positional need and they took a player who has a really high floor for all the reasons Brad described. And yeah, the offense could be way more than we're giving him credit for. You'll hear people who have wa- either scouted him heavily or watched a lot of Brandon Weeking's games say like the amount of times he passes to someone who's wide open and they just can't bury it or he should have come away with four or five points on a night where he had one or two. And you hear that and then you go watch some more tape and you see his shot. His, like, his shot's very good, not just in one way. It's not just like a quick release you were mentioning, Brad, the one-timer. Like, There's a lot more to him. So I can absolutely see the eventuality where his offense is a lot more there than we gave it credit for. Uh, we did our initial review on Danielson, and we kind of mentioned that he is a jack-of-all-trades, but the, the production is concerning. Not concerning, but it's just not there at a ninth overall level in terms of what the actual output is. And then you spend some more time watching, and we mentioned uh, a little while back, like, you know, Pay more attention to Danielson. People were saying, like, you're underselling his offense. We started to watch a lot more about it. And I really got to a spot where I'm like, no, I I think this guy could be a really good fit at ninth overall. Again, I was thinking Dvorsky would be the best player available there, and I I, that might still even be the case. But with Nate Danielson, Detroit has now a really solid center core in my mind. No superstars, no, but you weren't really going to get a superstar at that spot. So no matter who your preference was, I don't see how you could be really mad at this one. It's also worth noting that Connor Bedard calls Nate Danielson one of the toughest players to uh, that he played against. Uh, I think the the exact quote was, uh, he's probably the guy that maybe gave me the hardest game 
He's so fast, so skilled. So if you turn it over or something, he's going to go down and do something. He's a great player. Skates well, hard to play against, sneaky good shot. He should be our amateur scout. Connor Bedard? Yeah. Yeah, we'll hire him as an amateur scout and we'll he'll uh, moonlight as a player for us too. Sure. But yeah, with with Nate Danielson, I was happy about happy about it at the time. Woke up the next morning, I thought, no, I I, I really, really do like that pick. Well, that's good for you. I'm happy. <laughs> happy you're happy. Go ahead. Go uh, y- go yuck or yum, Evan. I'm not going to yuck any yum, especially because I think I personally need to separate what I th- who I think are the best prospects from what a team does. Mm-hmm. Because clearly in this draft, with the lack of trades that happened in the first round, everybody's lists are subjective. Yeah. And I need to do a better job of separating those two existences um, in the way the board was shaping up uh, picks one through eight, I thought it was looking really good for Detroit to to really get someone that I was high on. Not to say I'm not at Nate, with Nate Danielson. I don't even know if 15 is all that big of a reach. But like you guys said, he he's an all-around kind of toolsy centerman. Um, I do believe there is more offense and, and more development out of his game if he had some better line mates. I don't see a separating skill that a lot of the guys in the top 10 have against one another and against the, the the players drafted lower in the draft than him. I didn't quite see the stat counting stat progression year over year that you would like to see in a top 10 prospect. But when you ISO him and watch his highlight tape, I think there's a lot to like about his game. Like he winds it up. But he's got a lot. He reminds me a lot of Dylan Larkin in terms of how Dylan Larkin came into the league where he would sort of wind it up behind the net and just burn guys uh, from the outside. I like his shot a lot more than I thought I did. Uh, He's got a very strong release, better than I thought it was, and he can pick pick the corners and pick the openings better than I originally thought as well. So, you know, I've come around it a lot more over the past 24 hours. Do I think he's going to be a first line center? Absolutely, probably not. But I, I everything I watch about him, I, he screams NHL caliber centerman to me. Um, now it's just how high can he go? So I, I had to look up a stat because I know we we heard it before and you referenced it. The Connor Bedard was the hardest guy he played against, and I'm no, like, Connor okay. Bedard said Danielson was the hardest yeah. guy he played. Yeah, yeah, so I'm like, all right, how did? Uh, Connor Bedard do against the the lowly Wheat Kings in four games. Don't do that. Danielson held them to only 10 points. Oh. Which, how bad Brandon was, that's probably a win. Sorry, 10 points in how many games? Four. So that was around Bedard's is, average for the year. That is outrageous. <laughs> the fact that we're saying that and we're, we are, folks, the folks at home, I want you to know we are hardly kidding when we say that that is actually a good outcome. Yeah, because Connor Bedard was putting up those numbers against the good teams in the WHL. So the fact that Brandon was one of the worst teams in the WHL and he did not go that high over his average is probably a, a decent result. And one of those, four of those points came in one game. So maybe Danielson was had the flu or something. Uh, <laughs> to, to reference Corey Promen here, and we're going to paste the uh, links to a couple articles, one from our good friend uh, Max Boltman and one from Corey Promen that gives uh, an overview of the draft because I think they're, um, they're really good summaries there. But Corey called his player comparable Elias Lindholm and actually compared him to uh, Dylan Cousins around the same age. Hey, we could get an Elias Lindholm. You could. But if you have one for free in the draft that's a lot younger now, like that's 
that's really good. So ultimately what the Danielson evaluation comes to is, is the Red Wings in their bet on his offense correct? Because if so, it, it almost doesn't matter how the other players around him do. Like they got what they wanted and what they should get at ninth overall in this draft. If not, then they're going to wince looking at players maybe like Dvorsky or Moore or Benson or others who they could have had. So I don't want to call it a risky pick, but they they knew who they wanted. Eisenman stood up like the moment they they knew they can get him. Like they were pretty set on Danielson. So uh, also I think in our our mock, Max was the one who said Danielson seems like the likely pick. So shout out uh, Max got that uh, prediction correct. So that's Nate Danielson at ninth overall. The way the draft progressed, uh, Dalibor Dvorsky went immediately after. Uh, Vancouver uh, went <laughs> with uh, Tom Willander, who was, I, I really like Tom Willander as a prospect. Seemed like a bit of a reach. Arizona followed. Don't worry. They they didn't just like give up premium assets for a right-handed defenseman. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, Arizona ended up with Daniel, Daniel Boot, so that's their second Russian in like uh, six or seven picks. And then uh, Buffalo took a very Buffalo pick in Zach Benson. Year after Matt Savoy, Benson and Savoy know each other very well, obviously, and that kind of profile should not have been surprising. Evan deflated a little bit when that happened. So, yeah, it's going to be fun when Savoy and Benson are just destroying our division. Yeah. Brady, well, the good news is they're both small, and the Red Wings' average defenseman is roughly two of them. Well, they better have a lot of foot speed because those guys are going to be uh, getting inside. Uh, for the most part, they do not. <laughs> oh, no spoilers. <laughs> Braden Yeager to Pittsburgh. Matthew Wood went to uh, Nashville, and that one made a lot of sense. Sam Honzik went one pick before the Red Wings to the Calgary Flames, and then with Detroit, we were like, oh, man, Axel Sandin Pelica is here. Oliver Moore is here. Uh, Gabe Perot is here. There's a lot of talent available, and Detroit did indeed go with this Swedish right-shot defenseman who is a mere 5'11", so about half the size that uh, they usually are, Axel Sandin Pelica and this pick I don't think needed a lot of time to process we were all really really happy about this one right from the start yeah this is the balance of life um Danielson at nine was about a six from my rankings to the pick was about a six player reach and from my rankings to the Sandine Pelica pick it was a six player surplus because I had Danielson 15 and I had Sandine Pelica 11 so the balance of life um but yeah no I was immediately over the moon with this pick because a I already kind of went on my my spiel about premium positions, center and right shot D. You you just can't get them on the open market. So they they address both those needs. And more importantly, and I know we talked a bit about this in the lead up to the draft, the Red Wings are almost in that position where the type of player along with the position matters. I would even argue more so. And despite Wallman having some offense, Cider having pretty good offense, this was a blue line group and a blue line prospect group that re- a defense that really lacked offense. You know, Wallander's got a bit, Johansson's got a bit, but they don't they didn't have that guy, that number one power play quarterback. That is Sandin Pelica. That is his strength. This guy can move the puck. This guy can shoot the puck. This guy can run a power play. This guy can run an ozone. This guy can run transition. And despite being 5'11", competes his ass off defensively, is not afraid of the physical game, is you know pretty good defensively relative to his size. So he, he fits the Red Wings mold and you know they want well-rounded, competitive players. Sandy Pelico was the U18 top defenseman. Um, you know, he 
held his own in the SHL this year when he was in the J20 for part of the year. He was well over a point per game. Like he, the, the dude can play. Like there are just yeah. some hockey players you watch and you're like, oh yeah, this guy gets it. And and to me, that is Sandy and Pelica. So you know, ten out of ten home run pick. Yeah, really poetic that uh, with the pick that they got from the Philip Hronick trade, they drafted not just the Philip Hronick replacement in terms of where he was in the lineup, but also what you want Philip Hronick to be as a defenseman. Not completely one-to-one, but more or less. And uh, someone said, is that really a good thing? And the answer is yes, because younger should be better with his overall projection. And they sold Philip Hronick at his peak. Like They sold sold Philip Hronick, the Red Wings, and Eisenman when he was playing the best hockey that we've seen Philip Hronick play pretty much Maybe ever. ever. Yeah. yeah. So... For me, I was thrilled that they didn't kind of hold themselves to that mold of giant defenseman who does things well. There's a guy who came in with a smaller frame, uh, not at the sacrifice of physicality, not at the sacrifice of, uh, you know, this guy's going to lose board battles or puck battles or, or not have the tenacity or edge that they like. Because like met Brad mentioned, Axel Sandin Pelica has those things and he does the offensive part of the game really well. He transports the puck exceptionally well. He, he should be able to be that power play quarterback and give most siders some relief from being asked to do, to do too much all over the ice and the power play. Uh, also will give most sider relief because you have more than one viable right-handed defenseman at some point. It's really rounding out the Red Wings' top four or five defensemen that they, they're going to have on the roster at some point, provided that Sandine Pelica is going to pan out. And as Brad referenced, I, I think this is a talent that's going to be there. I've liked Sandine Pelica upon first viewing. I liked him throughout. He never really fell on my list. And again, uh, also uh, aligning for my money, he was my highest ranked defenseman. A lot of that was driven by his potential offense, but you see what he does in the offensive zone and the fact that he is not like a useless defender or anything like that. Like His game was more well-rounded than people give him credit for. I love that value at 17 for Detroit. And again, center with Danielson, right shot D with Sandine Pelica. They walked, they walked away... Uh, from the first round, addressing two areas of extreme need that should make this team better in as soon as like two to three seasons. I had him at 13, and he was my second-rated defenseman. Uh, David Reinbacher as my number one, but two two very different defensemen. And I think Sandy Pelica actually has that sort of separating skill that above all the other defensemen in this draft. Uh, like you guys said, like, he is coming in to be the number one power play quarterback. That should be the expectation. And I I totally see it. He distributes the puck well on the power play. He's got a sneaky good shot. It's accurate for a wrist shot. He, he could take decently uh, hard one-timers. He plays well in his own end. I know everybody always says, oh, if you're an offensive defenseman, you must be a black hole at the other end. I actually think he's pretty capable in his own zone at the nhl level being 511 will make things a little bit more difficult so he'll need to definitely have a strong partner um and mature physically to to really succeed in his own end but at the end of the day i'm not bringing him in to be a a shutdown defenseman we drafted eight of those after him (laughs) yeah you're saying he needs to be paired with uh like a six foot five left shot defense here's brady cleveland coming right up uh, not even him. I we've got uh, at least a half dozen options there. I think we have one in the closet over Simon there. Simon Evanson, Wallander, Johansson's not that big, but you know, Sherratt, Mata. Yeah, yeah. So, so like for me, 
he doesn't need to change his identity. He needs to do what he does best. And man, how do you how are you not happy about this pick? Yeah, I, I know Moore was there. I know I know Perot was there, and I would have been just as happy with either one of them. But for me, you, you're starting to see this blue line take shape. Blue lines, in my mind, still win you championships. If you have a weak defense, you haven't you're gonna have a hard time making it through a 16 win playoffs to to eventually lift the cup. And it can't all be the same giant redwood tree. You have to have some kind of offense coming from the back end. I like the contribution a lot. And that is the Red Wings first round. Uh, we we thought they might trade back into the first round. Didn't end up happening. But Nate Danielson at nine. Do we want to do like uh, draft? Do we want to do overall draft grades and round draft grades? Because I feel like my grading is going to be. Let's extremely... talk about what, what was your. How did you feel after the first round? Let's do it that way. What's your What's your first round grade for the Red Wings? Yesterday, I would have said I was a W for Whelmed. Mm-hmm. Um, today after I like got my bearings and kind of got over myself a little bit, I would say I'm, I could convince myself to be a B plus. Okay. Yeah. I think I'm in the same boat. I I think I gave it a B at the end of the live stream last night. And I, I think I could bump that up to a B plus just because uh, that extra little bit because of the positional premium. Again, I think over the years we as a fan base, and I know myself personally, I have been extremely guilty of undervaluing the premium positions in the draft. And, you know, the more and more time goes on and the more and more you see what's going on in the NHL, this is really the way you have to do it. Like, if you're picking a winger in the first round, like, they got to be exceptional, which I think Zach Benson was. So it's not like I'm backpedaling on my thoughts about him because I would have been over the moon with that as well. But you you have to have to have to get these guys where you can. The fact that it aligned directly with organization uh, positional needs, and you you look at the archetype of a team that Eisman's building. Both these guys fit the bill, and both of them fill uh, big holes that they don't have right now. So yeah, I I feel like they could have took a bigger swing at nine. I love Sending Pelk at 17, so I'll, I'll go B+. Plus. I am happy, but there was a bit of room for improvement. That's where I'm at about, too. I can't sit here and honestly say that, oh, this is an A+, plus because I think if you're going to get that, it means you got, like, Michkov at 7, for example. I th- and in, to be completely honest, I think in the first round, there can only be maybe a couple teams that deserve an A-plus exactly. type grading. Like, not everybody can be an A+. Plus. No. Like, should- I would know that. <laughs> Careful, you're the most educated out of us. Hey, C's, de- C's get degrees. Were you, you a C's get degrees guy? I'm not telling you shit. <laughs> <laughs> like Chicago walked away uh, with Bedard and and Oliver Moore. And Ryan, like, Ryan, we're in a good mood. Yeah. Well. I, there was a reason why I didn't say that. Yeah. So for me, I'm, I'm also in that B-plus range. I'm almost tempted to go A-minus because I, I did like the Danielson pick like from the start, but if he's not one of my, you know, top three guys on the board, then I can't sit here and honestly say, yeah, that's an A grade based on my rankings going in. So I think B plus, they addressed areas of need. Do I think they got potential top line guys? It's a long shot. So I can't really honestly give B plus, but it's not a a zero chance. Like I I don't want to cap or pigeonhole these guys on where they could play in the lineup. And frankly, if there's more to Danielson's offense or, or let's say Axel Sandin Pelica's offensive intelligence is even greater than we thought, then yeah, maybe we did get a, a home run swing in here with the Red Wings. But for me, B-plus seems like that that B range is is where you can uh, assess them. And I think 
there's a lot of teams that fall into that range. It's a, it's a distribution curve. Like not everybody's going to be A's. Not everybody's going to be F's. Yeah. It all depends on what the teams ahead of you do as well. Yeah. If the Red Wings just sat tight and they walked into Ryan Leonard, it'd be like, great, that's an A-minus draft. Yeah, exactly. And then that's the Red Wings can't really dictate to that a whole no. lot. They did try trading up with Montreal, I believe. Yeah, everybody. Did. They, they would have saved Carey Price. Yeah, they would have. But Montreal really wanted David Reinbacher. Mm. The rest of the first round went uh, Colby Barlow. Oliver Moore went all the way to 19, which was a pretty significant surprise. Uh, Edward Shala, Charlie Stramel, Oliver Bonk, Gabe Perot all the way to 23. That could be a massive steal to New York, but they will inevitably. As oh, you he's said. done. He's yeah. done. Yeah. yeah. You Warp. joked yesterday. Kiss Evan. your career goodbye. <laughs> They're going to ruin that prospect development. Uh, Tanner Mullendijk, uh, Otto Stenberg, Quentin Musty, Callum Ritchie, Easton Cowan, Theo Lindstein, Bradley Nadeau. Mikhail Gulyayev and David Edstrom. So not too many surprises in there. And that's the first round. So overall, whether like I think the worst the impressions got last night in the moment were whelmed and with some time to think, process, uh, do some more analysis, like this is a pretty positive first round. And Absolutely. what I say is your first round in my mind is it dictates the overall draft and how I think about it. And that's good because the draft got interesting for the Red Wings after this. Did it ever. Let's start with the second round. So they had three, coming to the second round, they had three second round picks consecutively, 41, 42, and 43. Now there was a trade in there. Uh, They did end up trading pick uh, 43 to Nashville. They took Felix Nielsen and in exchange they got pick 47 and uh, pick 147 this year, which was originally Tampa Bay's. I believe that was part of the Tanner Genot trade that Nashville got that. So they did end up making three second-round picks, but it was uh, two consecutive and then one a few picks later. So let's start with the first one. Uh, it was Trey Augustine, goaltender from the USNTDP. Really successful, obviously, with that USNTDP team this past season. We were talking about it during the stream, and Brad, I think you said you wouldn't mind at all seeing a goalie come with those three second-round picks because you have three of them, so take a swing if you like a guy. What do you think about Trey Augustine? I like him. Um, you know, had a historically good season at the NTDP. The only real knock against him is he's six foot one. That's it. He's got... Which is short for a goalie. Which is short for a goalie, yeah. He's, um, he can move well in the net, great positionally, good technique, you know, battles for pucks, is rarely out of position, you know, I, I'm not a goalie expert, so I'm not going to go into a ton of detail because I'm sure to the actual goalies out here, I'd sound like an idiot, but I like it. You know, you have three second round picks. That's the perfect time to take a swing on some talent and, you no know, spoilers, Brad <laughs> and goalies being the great swings of the draft in general. Uh, you know, this would be the time to do it when you have three second round picks and a bunch of the top goalies are still available. Yep. I, I really like the pick. Yeah, he was noted as having good positioning. Eisman said he competes hard. Uh, Draper talked about a gold medal game that he played in where for the last like 15 seconds or so, there's a few massive saves and and that really impressed them. They obviously saw quite a bit of him and uh, they seem to be really excited about the pick. I am too. A lot of people, and my initial impression was COSA insurance, but it's not just COSA insurance. Like that pipeline has almost nothing in it by way of goalies. Like all the unsuccessful ones are clearing out and it's essentially Kosa. Kosa, Guylander, and now Augustine. That's about it. Well, they did draft another goalie and we'll get to that. But Spoilers, it, Ryan. I know. But with, with Trey Augustine, I think they, they 
really feel like they have a talented guy in there. And I don't have a problem at all with using a, a second round pick on a guy, even though you took Kosa with a premium pick not too long ago. Uh, yeah, if if he is a guy who pans out for you, then you have options in net, and that's a good problem to have. Goalies are, as we say, voodoo, and it's really hard to predict them. Their development paths are wonky. Some take a really long time, some take a bit shorter. So it's not like other positions where for the Red Wings you say, oh, they're stacked at left D, so don't take one at pick nine. With goalies, it never hurts to have that many darts on the dartboard. Well, one point I want to make off that because it's relevant, it's th- this is still a business of asset management. And, you know, it's always cold and calculating to talk about people, players like this. But the one recent example that I can think of on this one is Florida. Now, you can laugh all you want about how their goaltending in the NHL has played out. But for the purpose of the purposes of this, they ended up in, I think it might have been consecutive drafts or maybe two drafts apart, drafting Devin Levi and Spencer Knight. Both very young uber-talented goalies, both NHL starter capabilities could be like superstars. They did that knowing only one of them could be their starter. And as their development progressed, it was looking very clear both of them were going to be very, very good to borderline stars in the NHL. Great problem to have. And obviously, Buffalo's not complaining about acquiring Devin Levi because he has come as advertised, if not better. But who did they Florida get? for Devin Levi. They got Sam Reinhardt. That was the Sam Reinhardt trade who helped them go all the way to the cup final and has been an integral part of their team this year and when they won the President's Trophy last year. So, yeah, you can go, okay, well, it feels like a waste because if Kosa pans out, there's our goalie. Okay, well, if Kosa and Augustine pan out, all of a sudden we're going to, spoiler alert, all the bitching we're going to do about where the hell are the goals coming from on this team? Maybe you use one of them to acquire it. Now, you don't draft players with the plan on trading them. Let me clear that up because I've seen a lot of that today <laughs> online and I think we were even talking a bit about it. And I wouldn't say Trey Augustine is a strong shooter either. Yeah. <laughs> the Red Wings did not draft anyone today with the thought of trading them in mind. But as Ryan said, goalies are voodoo. If we're just talking in odds here, one of Kosa and Augustine isn't going to pan out. But as long as one of them does, you can trade the other. You're set. For me, uh, the way I think of Trey Augustine is if you don't like how Sebastian Kosa plays goalie, well, you're going to like Wallstead Light and Trey Augustine. <laughs> um, just watching some of his game uh, over the past little bit here, like like you guys said, his his skill and his technical foundation is exactly what you'd look like look for in a goalie. Reminds me a lot of Wallstead and and how they play. He. He isn't. He obviously isn't that big, but he doesn't need to be because he's always in the right spot. He doesn't need to. He doesn't read the puck all that well, but he doesn't need to because his foundation and his skills and the way he positions himself is just excellent. So he's gonna. Here's the Red Wings tagline: He has high floor. He's yeah. a high floor goalie. Will be interesting to see how his progression works. Um, he is committed, I think, to Michigan State. Uh, so now it can't all be perfect. So he'll be close to home. So they'll be able to monitor him extremely yeah. closely. And his real name is actually Kenneth. Oh, no kidding. So Trey Augustine is a way more badass name. No offense to the Kenneths out there. Yeah. Perfectly standard run of the mill like, name. Like, like any Kenneth of Daniels. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> actually, uh, uh, Ken's full name is Kenneth. You. 
Oh, I'm my sorry. mistake. Yeah, my apologies, mind. Kenneth. You. I shouldn't. I shouldn't crack a joke. <laughs> Actually, I, I. To double back, we should give credit to Ken. He was the first person to come on this podcast and predict Axel Sandin Pelico to the Red Wings. Really? Yeah. Amateur scout. There we go. Um. Yeah. So I really like this pick, and you know, at forty-one, why the heck not? So the next pick was uh, Andrew Gibson, right right shot defenseman out of Sault Ste. Marie. Stop me if you've heard this before. 6'3", already 200 plus pounds. Uh, skates well for someone his size. Competes well. Uh, actually gets the puck through. Like He has a, a good shot as well. Um, mobile defenseman that's big on the right side. I know they just took Sandy and Pelica, but if you look down the right side of their uh, lineup on defense, they don't have a lot there, so they, they want to start filling that out. So the Gibson pick to me, uh, that one made a lot of sense. That one, I understood completely what they are doing. And again, with three second round picks, this is a guy where if there is a little bit more to his offensive game, I have no problem with pick 42 on an Andrew Gibson type. I was a little bit surprised to see another defenseman. <laughs> Should I just copy that I'm, part of the episode and paste it a hundred times over? I've literally been watching you talk and Brad look at you, and like, I've just uh, I couldn't I'm hold like, it that laugh any longer. I was just getting was, no. He was the, he was a thousand percent phrasing this oh in the God. way that he knew it was going to irritate me for the entertainment value. And sir, oh. as content creators, oh, well man, done. That was so funny. Well done. So that's uh, sorry, Ryan. I couldn't hold it in any longer. His his profile. And your reaction to the pick in general. Jesus. Um, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't think it's a surprise. Uh, I'm with you on I understand it. You know, um, I you look at what Vegas and Tampa have done, and those are obviously the model organizations in the NHL. So you need you build out from a big blue line. Every one of the defensemen that is big uh, and can skate in those two organizations, they can also move the puck. They don't treat it like a hand grenade. Like... To use Corey Promen's, um tools grades just as a reference here, because I'm going to reference it on the next pick as well. Gibson is rated as below average on puck skills and hockey sense. So what's his best case scenario? Ben Schrott? If you want to handicap it I actually think it Ben Schrott's puck skills aren't, like, aren't that bad. Okay, so we're talking down from Ben Schrott. Now, no, and okay, I, I will be fair to Gibson because I, you know, a guy, a big defenseman who can skate and competes his ass off. Yes, that is a very, very good foundation for an NHL defenseman. But it can't be the only part of the foundation. The game is way too fast now. T- players in general are way too smart. You have to, non-negotiable, be able to effectively transport the puck. Whether that's a pass, an outlet, skating with it, whatever. Gibson hasn't shown that yet. Not that it won't come. It absolutely could come. There's, you know, a half dozen success stories every year of guys who are picked late in the draft because they were missing some very, very key fundamental skill that they then learned and established and became good to great prospects. So is there a reality where I can see Gibson becoming a very good NHL defenseman because... You know, he studies the game a little more as hockey sense comes around, which I think is a very hard trait to teach. Um, or his puck skills get better and he improves. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You do not gamble on that at 42. You are not taking the long shot. We have to fundamentally change who this player is at 42 for him to be successful. Is the foundation there? Sure. 
But there were many similar defensemen who are well advanced past where Gibson is right now that were also viable at this pick. And that is not even getting to the conversation of, I mentioned it earlier, who the hell is scoring goals for this team? Danielson helps. Sandin Pelica helps. But Sandin Pelica is a defenseman. He can only, He's not a natural goal scorer. Nate Danielson might be good for 20 to 30 a year, which helps. But this is a team that is not just lacking in goal scoring ability on the NHL roster. They are also significantly lacking in the pipeline. This is a team organizationally top to bottom that is almost devoid of high-end talented goal scorers. And they had an opportunity to take a couple swings on them here. They didn't. And again, spoiler alert on the third round pick, they took another big defenseman with no offense to him whatsoever. So I don't hate the Gibson pick. It was a big reach for me, like a big reach for me. Even if they took him with their third round pick, I don't love it, but okay. There there was too much talent here that they passed up on to take a guy of uh, Gibson's profile with pretty significant fundamental flaws in his game. I think I'm in sync with you guys on the Andrew Gibson pick. I think at 42, he was a big reach. And people say like, oh, who else was available? Well, off the top of my head, like a Riley Height was still available. There was Grayson Sautron was still available. So yeah. there was lots of talent of guys who can produce pro- possibly at the next level, probably at the next level that they could have taken there. I, when I watch Andrew Gamp, Gibson film, I see a brain moving faster than his body parts, and that is uh, a little bit concerning. I don't see the offensive upside really at all, so you can get bottom-pairing shutdown defensemen literally anywhere. You could go out and get a Radko Gudis right now. I am very confused about this pick. I think I hope there's more to come, and I hope he, Andrew Gibson discovers a lot more to his game than what I'm seeing immediately. So I think this pick left a lot to be desired from my perspective. I am I have that assessment of a couple picks. Gibson, actually, I'm not that bad on. I, I, don't, I, I can understand it. I think if he pans out, a very likely scenario is that he's a depth right-handed defenseman. That's not it, good at 42. Okay, but... You know what? You do need those players, so I can understand it, especially There's if you have three second-round picks. UFAs who are that right now. And I do think there could be more to his game. Would it have been the pick I made? No, but you know, in the second round, it's, it's pretty wide open. I will. I do want to acknowledge Evan. You know, Danny Nelson was also there. Dragasevich was also th- also there. There are other players who I would have picked. But Raykop, Moran. There was there was a lot there, but they do need right shot defensemen, and with. His size, the way he's able to move the puck and, and move for his size. I can understand it. And historically, um, two picks that fit this bill jump out to me immediately. Not one-to-one skill sets, but the mentality. Tuomisto and uh, Lindstrom. How'd those work out? Yeah, it's fair. It's fair enough. Where I really kind of struggle, especially with who you're drafting for the pick, pick 47, uh, the third of the second round picks that the Red Wings had, Brady Cleveland. Six. I will not hear Brady Cleveland slander. <laughs> then you might want to leave the room, my friend. <laughs> Put look, me on mute for the next five yeah. to ten minutes. Look, Brady Cleveland, six foot five, 
you know, 200 plus pound mean defenseman shut down, described himself in, in Max's article. I started cracking up as a uh, shut down five or six guy penalty kill. Like he's already, you know, he's putting himself as a depth defenseman who's just playing a defensive purely not big minutes because you're not playing in the offensive zone role. And I have the utmost respect for him. So this is not disparaging him. I think there's a place in this game for big, mean bruisers who will punch you in the face and kill penalties. We've all watched Radko Gudas. We've all watched, you know, the way you do that. But at pick 47 for me is like, I don't understand it. I, I understand wanting that player type. I actually agree. It would be very nice to have that player type. But he has almost no offense to speak of. I, I I don't think you 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 use a 47th overall pick on that personally. And that's for me the pick where it's like I I really disagree not with the player in general but taking the player that high up. I honestly think the third round might have been too high for that. Although I start to at the third round the board's so wide open kind of do what you want. But the second round pick Look, if Brady Cleveland ends up, you know, making the NHL and showing us a part of his game that where he can stick and play 82 games a year, we will look like, you know, complete donkeys. He's already identified to you what his game is. That's the thing. So I, I don't know. The pick 47 usage, that that just wasn't it for me. Uh, yeah, I'll get into Cleveland specifically. And then I think this is probably the point where we have to talk about draft philosophy. Because this was the big red flag for me. Because let's, let's I'm going to pull up Brady Cleveland's tools chart. Because this is going to kind of branch off what I said about Gibson with, you know, you're not picking guys in the second round where you have to fundamentally change their game in order for them to be successful. Now, Corey has uh, Brady's compete at a high end. He gives very, very few players a high end compete grade, which is fantastic because Corey very rarely deviates from below average, average, or above average. You see few high ends elites on traits and you see very few pours. It's always in that range because that's where most players fall, right? So he gets that high-end compete, which means he's got the attitude out there. He will do whatever it takes to win. All right, below average shot, below average skating, below average hockey sense, poor puck skills. This is the exact type of player you can find every summer in free agency for a million bucks. Yeah, he's big, he's mean, and he's his competes through the thing. And I agree with you. There is absolutely still a place in the NHL for those big, mean, absolutely miserable to play against defensemen like a Radko Gudis. You know what I mean? Like that, yeah. that there is huge value in that intangible of mean. You have to be able to skate and move the puck. He can't do either of those things. Yeah, his skating makes uh, Zach Bogosian's skating look like Connor McDavid. This kid, okay, now, oh, God. Like, I can't wrap my head around that at pick 47. This is a guy that, again, I'm rooting for him. Because like you said, the mentality this kid has on the ice, ah, damn, do I love it. I love guys like this. It's why we want Ben Sherratt to work out so well. Because the guy just goes out there. He's a million, his feet are moving a million miles an hour. He's trying to be aggressive. He's trying to make things happen. But even Ben Sherratt has skating and puck skills. You know what I mean? He can't pass the puck. His hockey sense is low, but like he can keep up in the NHL world. This is the fundamental problem where with, especially with the Gibson and the Cleveland pick. And we've seen it in years past with, you know, the Lindstrom pick and other ones. And I won't get in detail. 
you have to swing at some point in the second round. And the more the second round picks the Red Wings have swung on are the ones that have worked out. You know what I mean? Like they they take a guy like Carter Mays earlier in the third round. Huge hit. You know, Albert Johansson, a smallish but skilled defenseman late in the second round. That looks like a hit. Wallander, the very raw but like uber talented defenseman, if he ever all puts it together. Well, it looks like he put it together. Every uh, quote unquote safe pick they've taken in the second round has sucked. I, I want to call out we did think at the time Mazer was the wrong pick. No, yeah, we were it. critical of it, uh, but he he was a overager for the draft, but did have high offensive output that year. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. So we were dead. I was dead wrong about him. I'm happy to be dead wrong. But like, oh man, I just, this mentality drives me nuts. You can find guy, even if Brady Cleveland pans out and hits his self-proclaimed ceiling, what are you getting? A guy you can get in for agency for a million bucks every summer. Like, I just, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. And I'm rooting for the kid. And I want nothing more than to me dramatically wrong about this pick. I need everybody listening to understand before they start flaming me. Nobody is rooting harder against myself right now than I am. Yeah, if we're critical and wrong, that's great the, it's for the fantastic. team. It's generally turned out well, yeah. But, yeah. but again, I you look at his profile, you look at his skill set, you look at how the NTDP used him, you look at everything other than what, other than he tries really hard below to average to poor at every aspect of the game of hockey. Physicality. Physicality is great. If you can if you're when he goes up levels, oh, his skating, it's not going to matter. He's not going to touch anyone. The, the, he's going to get torched. Yeah, he's going to go for the hit, swing, miss, and it's a two-on-one. Yeah. I, I, you're looking at me like I should have something to add, but I really don't. I've sat through the the roast of Brady Cleveland, and I don't like it. And, but, I, mean, and I mean, but this you is guys right aren't Gibson. wrong. You guys aren't wrong. Like, you watch his highlight tape. And it's him just absolutely crushing and obliterating his opponents. And that's amazing. Like, I love violence. I love that <laughs> kind of stuff. I, If the Red Wings beat Ottawa, I don't think they're drafting Brady Cleveland. <laughs> I honestly Brady got, Kachuk forced Brady Cleveland. I honestly <laughs> might think that way because nobody in the organization really plays like him. Maybe that's a sign that uh, you don't stick in the NHL if you play like that. Um, Are we guilty for this? Because we were at the forefront of this team is way too soft all year. <laughs> I'm just saying you can't spell Brady without Brad. That's Spoil. right. That is true. Um, so, I don't know. Could you have had him much later in the draft? Yes. Was there a lot higher ceiling, swing for the fence type prospects available at this pick? Absolutely. I don't know. I'm not going to sit here as a grown adult and rip on an 18-year-old, but I it's not my favorite pick. Yeah, I, I also want to emphasize the point that you made, Evan, and you were saying earlier, Brad. This isn't an indictment on Brady Cleveland, the player. Uh, again, if Brady Cleveland turns out to be the player that he says he is going to be, I am actually quite happy because you get that for free. Without, I know you say you can get, go out and get him on the market, but I think someone's going to overpay this year for Radko Gouda. So if he brings the kind of physicality that's disruptive and it makes, you know, 30, 31 other teams in the league talk about how much they hate your player because he punched you in the nose and killed your five on three or whatever. I think there's value in that. I like it. It's just about the value for pick. And as long as we're doing draft philosophy here, I think you're right, Brad. This is about the time in the episode where we talk about the overall draft philosophy. 
there's a part of me that's like, you know what? They walked away with a good set of players in the first round. They very obviously have an MO in the second round, which is they don't take swings on talent. And, and I think that's a difference in preference in terms of what we might look at and what they look at. They, they are very much, they have their guys that they like and they take them with the picks that they have. That's the way the Red Wings operate. That's the way most of the league operates. And that's something that it's it's important to constantly think about. But I also don't think that means you you sit you can't sit here and criticize certain picks either. I think it's it's very fair to say, nope, the Red Wings had their list and there's no point in deviating from your list. And I think it's also fair to say there's talent on the board and you should maybe have a different approach. For me personally, I don't mind, you know, one of Gibson or Cleveland. I really, I, I should say, I don't mind the Gibson pick within the context of you have three second round picks. The Cleveland pick for me, what I would say is that could have come later. You, and if he's not there, then that's fine. You can do okay. It's such a long shot. Overall, the amount of players that pan out, like if Danielson and Sandine Pelica both pan out 80% of how they should, it's a successful draft, plain and simple. And if you add one other of Augustine, Gibson, Cleveland, Nielsen, Darren Nielsen, Keenan, Phelan, Bicker, Guimond, or Finney. One other of them. Fantastic draft. That group of names sounded like a really bad Nickelodeon show. I, it did, right? It's the, <laughs> It's got Phineas and Ferb vibes in there. But it's... So it, it, you can break down individual picks. You're like, oh, that was bad for the slot. And then this could end up being a Carter Mazur situation. Or it could just end up being a, a Gustav Lindstrom situation. I really don't like the value that they had here or how long it took them to take kind of an upside swing with their pick. Now, onto the third round, Noah Dover-Nielsen. Here it is. Brother of Liam Dover-Nielsen, who was picked uh, just two years ago by the Detroit Red Wings. I believe it was 131st fifth, overall. Fifth round sounds right. So it's very, very cool that uh, Noah joins his br- brother Liam as a Red Wings prospect. Funny enough... Uh, Axel Sandin Pelica couldn't get his flight from New York to Nashville and was driven by Liam Dover Nielsen. So very cool that uh, uh, Noah also uh, gets drafted and fun connection in the Red Wings' uh, Swedish prospect world. But uh, Dover Nielsen brought something that I think the Red Wings sorely needed, and I think we all do, which is he's a shooter, uh, but really well-regarded player by the Red Wings organization. Uh, Eisenman and Draper talked about how Lidstrom and and Hakan Anderson and Cronwell over there, they're very familiar with him like his game a lot. So who's Dover Nielsen, the other Dover Nielsen in the Red Wings prospect pool now? Man, a high skill. He's a he's a pure skill guy. The exact type of pick that you should make lots of outside of the first round. Well, throughout the whole draft, because you only ever need one of them to hit in a draft to, you know, have it be a very successful draft. You know, we always talk about the, you know, you got to get your Braden points, your Kucherovs, your Jake Gensels outside of the first round. Well, unless you try to draft them, you're not going to get them. And this is a swing for, you know, that high upside. He's got a wicked shot, an absolutely elite shot, really good hands, good playmaker. Skating's good, wouldn't call it like a strength, but it's it's good enough that it doesn't hinder him. He outproduced Otto Stenberg and David Edstrom in the J20 this year, both of whom went in the first round. Some questions about compete, didn't have great international tournaments this year. Again, those are small sample sizes, but it's enough to raise some question marks. But yeah, I I love this pick and I love this type of pick as you get, you know, deeper into the draft because you just, 
you're picking a trait, and in this case, it's kind of traits with his offensive IQ and his shot, and you're just hoping you can build around that. Yeah, for me, he's a real boom or bust pick. Like like you said, Brad, his offensive ability and his creativity as a playmaker are first round level, I would say. Like, it's fun to watch, and um, I was looking at some of the J20 stats, and he was the hottest player for the first 20 games in the J20, so... There's a lot to like about him. Um, For me, it's going to all come down to his skating. He stands very upright, has short strides, uh, doesn't utilize his edges all that well. So I think if Noah Dalver-Nielsen can really clean up his skating, I think there's a high chance that he could play NHL minutes. Honestly, it would have been a worthwhile pick just for the moment between the two brothers. Like, how cool for that family how cool for those brothers. Very obviously, it would have been uh, very familiar with the Red Wings organization as the scouting team is with them over there in Europe. But yeah, for the reasons you guys said, I, I like this injection of offensive talent. He could have gone with any of those second-round picks and I would have been just as happy about it. So the fact that they got a third-round pick value uh, or a third-round pick and I, I think a second-round pick value kind of player, Really thrilled. I didn't think he would make it that far. No, I was pleasantly surprised to see him that far. He he was a guy that, you know, I, I had in my mind when they had those three second round picks. Um, so this definitely eased the my the mentality of picking two big unskilled defensemen in the second round. So, you know, because this is what the draft comes down to. And it's we've talked about Carolina's draft philosophy, right? They take a lot of players like Dover Nilsson. Because they only need one to hit in a draft. Because, you know, if, if Cleveland or Gibson hit, they're a bottom pair defenseman. Again, type of guy you can find pretty easy in free agency. If Dover Nilsson hits, he's a top six power play threat. Mm-hmm. Not a guy that's easy to find. So, you know, I, I, I love this type of swing. So next up on the draft board, and these will go a little bit quicker here because you're going to start to find players where the analysis would have to been done in retrospect or you you only know so much of that. And uh, the next pick, Larry Keenan out of uh, Culver Academy, so a high school player, big left shot defenseman, six foot three, 186 in the fourth round, 117th overall. A, a name that was on board still, but one that we were still a little bit more uh, unfamiliar with. Uh, known as an athletic guy who can really move for his size, especially uh, moves the puck up the ice really well and, and seems to be a good defender. But as Brad mentioned, this is another defender whose offensive game leaves a lot of questions. So that's going to be, you know, you, you talk about these as project picks. If this is going to pan out and let's call a spade a spade. Fourth round picks in general don't pan out. In general, they don't. Doesn't mean you don't pick them, but you can't have high expectations for them. But if Larry Keenan's going to pan out, you you need him to find some kind of offense to to make him viable in a lineup. Yeah, this we're at the point in the draft where you're literally just picking a trait in players and and hoping you can build around that. And a six foot three defenseman who can skate really well is intriguing. He played at a super low level of hockey this year too, so it's kind of that you know big risk, big reward because you really don't know what he is yet because he hasn't been challenged. I think they even said that in their presser. Saying, yeah, he's just so dominant in that league. It's it's hard to get a feel for what he actually is. I was just more surprised to find out there's an 18-year-old named Larry. <laughs> did, did I read somewhere his grandfather father scored the first goal for St. Louis? Yeah, that was uh someone brought that up on the uh Zoom today. Yeah. Oh, Patriots one, yeah. 
So that is uh, Larry Keenan. I will say, you look at his profile and you understand a little bit more about his game. Yeah, that, that makes sense as a project pick for that spot. I have no problem with that pick at all. And even people might be saying, oh, another left-handed defenseman. I thought Draper had a good quote in his media availability after, which was, uh, there obviously is quite a bit in that position, but the good players will sort that out for the team. Not all of them are going to land. Even the ones that we're talking about now, like Johansson, uh, Willinder, all those guys, like not all of them who are looking good now are going to stay good and stay on the roster. It's just the reality of prospect development. Jack Phelan, another defenseman in the fifth round, 137th overall pick. This was a guy where I really, you know, had to develop some kind of familiarity with him. Don't know too much about him, but six foot two defenseman known uh, as one who can move well enough for his size. Not too much else on him. Right shot defenseman out of Sioux Falls. This seems like a, you know, adding right handed uh, defenseman to the depth pool because it's an area that's pretty depleted for the Red Wings. It's a fifth round pick. He's had five goals in the last four years. Hey, that's uh, he's got more goals in the last two years than uh, Mr. Cleveland there. So <laughs> that's something. Uh, well, like I said with um, Larry, you just pick a trait and you build around it. The trait they picked here is uh, big. So six two is small for the Red Wings defensive pool. <laughs> uh, big and right handed. Yeah, does that help? Yeah, yeah. I whatever. This is this is the definition of an afterthought pick. It, it, there's no harm in the pick at this point. We were thinking that's another defenseman. Like that's kind of amazing. It did stop there, but it was shocking the amount of defenseman that they actually did take in the end. But, yeah. That being said to me, positionality goes right out the window after the second round because everybody is such a long shot. You don't have the luxury of hand picking positions. You literally just have to pick who is next highest on our board. Take that guy and pray like that's, all you can do outside of the second round. <laughs> so obviously Dover Nielsen was an intriguing uh, forward prospect in 147th overall with their other fifth round pick. And this is the one that they got in the trade back. They took Kevin Bicker out of Mannheim in Germany, uh, a player who's expected to play in the DEL next year, had himself a great playoffs recently. Um, he's, his overall skill level evidently is why not high enough where he was going to be selected higher, but a pretty intriguing player in terms of he had he was pretty productive and caught a lot of eyes, and he's going to play in a in a strong German pro league next year. So this was a a very interesting pick for me, and I know a lot of people felt the same. Yeah, much like uh, Larry Keenan played at a, in a very low level league because this is the German Junior League, um, which you know obviously the DL is a great league, but the, I I have no idea what to make of the German Junior League. Um, don't know if I've ever looked at a single player who was drafted out of that league, <laughs> but. Had a good regular season, put up some stats, apparently can absolutely fly with decent skill, and had a massive playoffs in that league. So it's something. Like, again, this is this seems like a bet on skill and just, you know, okay, he was in a low level. Maybe there's something there. Maybe there's not. It's a fifth-round pick. Anything is uh, acceptable. <laughs> yeah, I'm certainly not going to lose sleep over any of the picks after the third, fourth round. I don't really see NHL potential with uh, Kevin Bicker, but... If he did, hey. he would have been drafted in the fifth. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, whatever. I mean, he was a, he was Germany's, I thought, one of their most uh, talented prospects at the U18s. 
That doesn't say a whole lot, but <laughs> it is what it is. So they the team noted that he's a good skater, good puck skills, and high energy. So you can understand a little bit of why they liked that prospect. Darren Helm? Could he be the Darren Helm? German Darren Helm. That's a combination of the cult of Helm and the cult of cider. Red Wings fans rejoice. Sixth round pick, Rudy uh, Guimond, goaltender. Another goaltender, this one out of high school as well. So the Red Wings continue to add to that goalie pipeline. Like we mentioned, it can't just be Kosa and Guylander. They added more with Trey Augustine and a goaltender. So again, this is generally where you actually see goalies taken. Rudy. That's why I wanted to make it, just for the Rudy chance. (laughs) Uh, he's described as uh, very technically sound. So we'll see that that's a long shot pick. But hey, so was Guylander when he was drafted. So if you're like, oh, late round goalie, no good. No, it's it happens quite a bit where goaltenders are taken. So Yeah, they don't make any sense. Whatsoever. It was a long time ago. Let's not forget uh, Lundqvist and Pecorini were drafted later yeah. than this. And then the last pick was Emmett, fin- uh, Emmett Finney out of Kamloops in the WHL, a centerman. Uh, they described him as a guy who was probably further down the lineup in uh, in Kamloops because it was a strong team, but they like his skill and compete. They took him 201st overall, and that was their last pick of the draft, a center. I've got two thoughts on this. One, he has six goals in two WHL seasons. Two, it's a seventh-round pick. Who cares? Yep. Well, if you don't care, you may as well take in his teammate, who's also a center but had double the amount of points as of him, who then got taken by... Winnipeg shortly after, and that's Connor Levis. Well, if they if they think that he was just pushed down the lineup and uh, there's more to him and, you know, they liked his interview or the weight, by all means. I mean, double the points is a lot. Yeah. I'm no mathematician, but double is a lot. Again, I don't know how many times we have to tell you, you are our resident mathematician. You can't keep saying that. That's only based on the peers around me. Thank you. So that's the Red Wings draft class. First round picks, Danielson and Sandine Pelica. Second round picks, Trey Augustine, Andrew Gibson, and Brady Cleveland. Third round, Noah Dover-Nielsen. Fourth round, Larry Keenan. Fifth round picks, Jack Phelan and Kevin Bicker. Sixth round picks, uh, sixth round pick, Rudy Guimond. And seventh round pick, Emmett Finney. So only one trade, the trade back to separate out their three second round picks and add a fifth round pick. And there's another trade we're going to talk about in a moment. But uh, overall, we talked about our first round trade grade, or uh, sorry, draft grade. What is your overall draft grade and uh, a kind of synopsis or summary on how you feel about the draft class in general? Um, Really like the first round. Uh, really like the Augustine and Dover Nilsson picks. The rest left a lot to be desired. So what's your grade? C plus. Hmm. Okay. I too like the first three picks. We already talked about the Nate Danielson whole thing, so I'm not going to rehash that. If you would have flipped those two picks, the Sandine Pelica and the Danielson, I would have said, okay, this is good. So I can't be all that upset about the order of that. Anyways, so I like the first three picks. There's some questions for sure after that. I'm on sort of the similar vein as Brad. I'll say if I said the first round was a B plus, a lot left it to be desired. I'll say a B ish. That's about where I am, Evan. I, I I meant what I said at the top. I think the first round defines how it's going to go. 
And I do think the Red Wings picked two players who are projectable into the lineup to make a difference at areas of extreme need. I have the more I see about Danielson, and this isn't just since being drafted. It's since we did our first profile, and I, I was talking about him more and more, and, and when I looked more and more, I've liked Danielson more over time. So I'm not just perfectly fine with him at pick nine. I actually like the pick. Danielson and Sandine Pelica, we all agree, fan, fantastic value. That should be a great pick or all things going well. Really like the first round. Agree about the Trey Augustine pick. I think in general, I have no problem with the team building from the blue line out and, and wanting mobile big defensemen. I think that's been their MO a lot. I have the concerns about where scoring going to come from. So in my head, I'm weighing, was that all going to be dra- solved in this draft? Probably not. Could they have done a little bit more to try to address that? Yes, I think so. So I like the Trey Augustine pick. I love the Noah Dover Nielsen pick. And with Kevin Bicker and Rudy Guimond and, and, you know, a second goalie just trying to replenish that pipeline. Is there some to be desired for me? Yeah, I'm kind of meh on it overall. I think the good is really good. I think the rest was pretty bland. I'll give the entire draft class a B. I, I don't think I want to go lower than that. You might even convince me to say B plus still. They don't need too much to land, but they do need something. I just don't think they they position themselves up, uh, position themselves to kind of overperform for the reasons that we said. Brady Cleveland will be like the poster pick for that, but across the board, I just think they needed to draft a little bit more upside to be optimistic, especially from the defenseman that they took. Yeah, I mean, it, I know it's a big draft, but they took three defensemen big defensemen who have almost no projectable offensive upside outside of the first round. You know, Dover Nilsson was a good bet, but you know, it's the reason I, I get up to at least a C plus on this grade is like on the whole, they came out of this draft with a lot of talent. Like again, you might have a goalie of the future in Trey Augustine. You might have your power play quarterback, you know, number two, right defenseman and P- Sandy Pelica. You might have a number two centerman in Danielson. And if that all pans out, that is up. Grand slam home run draft. Dover Nilsson hits. Oh my God, you have like a legit power play threat in the third round. But again, I just come back to that second round and, you know, we're talking about a team that desperately lacks goals and they just did not consider, you know, Ray Kopp, Fisker Molgard, um, Dragasevich as an offensive defenseman, Etienne Moran as an offensive defenseman, Grayson Sachin, Riley Height. Like, I could keep going. There were options. Like, there were sw- worthwhile swings to make there uh, with at least one of those three second round picks. And to me, it's a missed opportunity. And obviously, you know, everyone say, well, the, you know, they thought their guys were better. And that's obviously they did. That's why they picked them. If they thought these guys were better, they wouldn't have taken them. That's, that's, you've arrived on the point of why I'm concerned. (laughs) What they, what they value in players. That was a big red flag for me. Couple that with the Penn Chirac contract next year. This is the first, like, part of the Iser plan where I'm like, I don't get it. Like, I just, I don't see it. Doesn't mean the other 98% of the plan isn't great. So it's not like I'm tearing down everything I believe, but yeah, this is not a trend I want to see continue. All in all, I think it's going to be a divisive draft class. I think there's going to be criticisms of, for example, I gave it a B and there's going to be people who are saying that's pretty soft on the Red Wings and how do you give it a B when there's so many picks that you're meh on from like round, especially in round two onwards. And I gave a pretty scathing review on the the 
optimal picks in round two or, or how they optimize value. And I think those criticisms will be fair. But for me, it's just I overweight for the first round. And I don't disagree Brett, with you, Brad, in general. I think there's a little bit more in terms of offensive or this guy could uh, ability or this guy could pan out or maybe the, the tools will be um, improving over time out of the, all the defensive that they took. But like I said, it's not like they took guys who are known for that now. And I think they could have taken more upside now. So that's the draft class. That's our initial grades. I want people to know the analysis on the picks do not end now. We have a lot of really great, really exciting interviews coming up with folks that you've heard from before, folks that you haven't heard from before. Uh, we're going to continue to to run our analysis. We've Some of these guys we've watched a lot of tape on, and we're going to triple that. And some of these guys we're going to be really diving into uh, deep dives for the first time. So stay tuned. That's going to be coming your way all summer. Let's talk about the trade that did happen first. Uh, Ken Holland needs himself some cap space, and he dumped the contract of Kyler Yamamoto and the signing rights for Clem Costin to the Detroit Red Wings in exchange for the fabled future considerations. For those of you who don't know, future considerations often amounts to quite literally nothing. Sometimes it's a seventh round pick, whatever, but it's uh, effectively nothing. It's not going to be anything of consequence ever. So the Red Wings help Edmonton out, and they get two capable players, one in Kyler Yamamoto, one in Klim Costin, and it seems like they're going to keep at least one of them. So initial reactions. I think it's a phenomenal bet. Um, again, this is all under the umbrella of this cost nothing. The Red Wings have so much cap space right now that even if they pay Klim Costin 2 to $3 million, it has almost no consequence for their plans this season on like a one or two year deal. They're actually below the cap floor right now. They yeah. need to spend money. They, Which is why I don't understand the Yamamoto buyout talk, which we'll get into. But I'll start with Costin. Because it is reported that he is the player the Red Wings had their eye on. And, you know, I don't think this guy's ever going to be a regular half a point per game guy, but... He has some offensive touch, so if you put him on your third or fourth line and he plays 82 games, you could be walking away with like a 30 to 40 point guy on the high side who plays with a ton of energy, ton of grit. Like, you know, we were talking about the Red Wings were a little too soft last year. Costin helps in that department. Now, he's not a face puncher, but, you know, he, he'll he do his uh, agitating and his grinding on the ice and, and have a bit of physicality, but he is not devoid of offense. You know, you put him in posi- positions where he can produce a bit of offense and he can, he had a good playoffs with Edmonton, good down the stretch. He was a fan favorite in Edmonton. Cause he's one of those guys who's got that, that a plus goofy Russian personality that, yeah. that uh, hockey fans love so much. So, you know, a big plus there, but yeah, so he's an RFA right now. Um, apparently Edmonton didn't want to pay him what he felt he was worth. He was threatening to go back to the KHL, but apparently now this trade has made him circle back to Iserman. And I think it was Mark Spector was reporting if Iserman Wants him, he'll get him. Well, that's why he traded for him, so I I have to assume that's going to get done. And then Yamamoto, I know people are down on him, but he's not. He's two seasons removed from a 20-goal season. He's routinely about a half a point per game player. He's undersized, so he's not bringing the grit the Red Wings need, but he's an upgrade on a lot of their bottom six forwards. So if you can get Costin and Yamamoto combining for, you know, 60 to 80 points in your bottom six, that's a good get for nothing. And the Red Wings don't have a lot of bottom six players who are going to be putting up th- that type of offense. Um, and both of them are responsible defensively. Uh, even Yamamoto, despite his size, um, is 
is not, you know, absent in the D zone. So they get two usable but unspectacular bottom six contributors for literally nothing. Uh, to me, that's a huge one. Yeah, Clem Costin for me was the big get there. And I think the Red Wings feel the same way. If you see how Steve Eisman talked about him, he was the guy who he had uh, a lot of time for. High energy, obviously with more production, at least in the first half of the season than anyone was really expecting uh, in Edmonton. He's going to fit well in the Red Wings lineup for the reasons Brad said. And the, the Red Wings and Eisman have noted that they think Obviously, that's a talented team in Edmonton, so you can only do so much and move up the, the roster so much when you have McDavid and Dreisaitl and Nugent Hopkins and, and all those players ahead of you. They think on the Red Wings lineup, he could even grow into an even bigger role. I'm all for Clem Costin, and he's like Brad He's said, a fan favorite wherever he goes. And he's he's going to come cheap, and it actually doesn't quite matter because of the cap hit. So yeah, absolutely. With Kyler Yamamoto, uh, he's very small, but he plays a high-energy game. Uh, actually, I think his defensive impacts are really good as well. So, uh, responsible player. He has one year left on his contract at three point one million dollars. So, there's talks about buying him out. And if you think of the, or if you look at how Steve Eisman talked about Yamamoto, he was very happy to talk about Clem Costin. But with Yamamoto, it was uh, uh, I still have to talk to the organization about what we're gonna do. Spectre talked about, yeah, they might buy him out. And I think that might be the direction they're going. I, I don't think anything is certain yet. And by the time you're listening, you'll probably know one way or another. But with Yamamoto, for me, it's not about cap space, Brad. It's about the roster space. Like this is a small player who he put up up to half a point per game, up to half a point per game with the Edmonton Oilers. He's going to have worse teammates in Detroit. So I don't know that he's a, a, an automatic half point per game player. They'll probably want to give that time to Jonathan Berggren. They'll probably want to give that time to Elmer Soderblom. What if Carter Mazur comes in and, and could make the team? I'm not sure that they want to have Yamamoto taking up that space because they know more or less who he is. And so for me, if they keep him, yeah, for the reasons Brad said, I'm all for it. He was free. He'll he's He can make the bottom six better now. But if they buy him out, totally understand. It's a roster space thing, not a cap space thing. Yeah, he needs to stay healthy, right? Like, I think he's played one full season at this point. He's small but reliable when he plays. And you got him for free, like you guys have said. So, I mean, how do you really bash a trade? And you got an out clause if if you don't like him. You just buy him out. So, They won't even need to. Let him ride out the season. Well, the buyout window closes in like a day. Yeah, yeah. That's why so, I'm saying by the time you're listening, you'll know. Yeah. Um, but... I mean, the Red Wings don't have 12 NHL caliber forwards right now. They don't. I know they're going to try and add some in the offseason, obviously, but like, you know, by my count, they've only got 11 right now, and that's counting Marco Casper. Is that counting Carter Mazur? Sorry, not 11. That's counting um, uh, 13, sorry. Um, that is not counting Carter Mazur, but you still, most teams carry 14, right? So there's room. There's room. There's injuries. And again, it's counting Phillips Adina. How many people truly think Phillips Adina is a Red Wing opening night right now? No. Uh, opening night, I'd give it like 55% odds, yes. So, but either way, yeah, it, you can just send him to the minors and then you don't get cap hit the second year because, you know, it's just money and it's one yeah, year it's... versus spreading it out over two years. Like, so to me, it, it would, the most logical thing here is keep him. Play him the year as a reclamation project. If it doesn't work, you don't qualify him at the end of the year. He Because he is an RFA at the end of the year, so it is worth noting. With Arborites, yeah. Yeah, so if he has a successful season, the team retains control. 
So it's not like it's just a one year to UFA and then he can go wherever. He would still be under the Red Wings control at the end of the year if this, you know, you want to call it a reclamation project goes well. Regardless, I think the Red Wings got at least one very usable player that will make the team marginally better in the depth roles. Does it solve scoring? No. Is this, are these either of these guys top six top six players on the Red Wings? Doesn't seem to be that way. But it was a cap dump from uh, Edmonton, and it cost Detroit quite literally nothing. This is what you want to use your cap space for, uh, at least something. So happy to see it, personally. Uh, I think we all kind of feel that way. And if they keep both players, great. If they buy out Yamamoto, fine. They still got Costin. And it seems like a guy that they're excited about, and I don't blame them at all for that. Big body, Bruiser plays hard and can produce at least some. They think he can grow even more into that. So very happy to see that. Now, the trade that didn't happen, the DeBrinket trade to the Red Wings, uh, as that developed, it seemed like Pierre Dorian was spelling everything out with whoever was reporting. You know, I looked at what Gary Ock was reporting and I said, okay, those are um, Dorian's thoughts right there. And it really just seems that he said, I don't want to sell him for pennies on the dollar. I need uh, Dabrinkit's agent to open up more teams that he'd be willing to sign long-term with so we have more trade partners. Reading between the lines, and the lines are a foot apart, and the, the reading is in big, bold letters in Times New Roman. Detroit was one of the only teams offering wherein they could sign, or where they had a chance to sign him long-term because Dabrinkit wanted to go there, and they weren't offering a lot. So I don't even know that pick 17 was on the table. So with that said... Uh, another holdup was reported that Ottawa really held true to not letting other teams talk to to bring it about contract before securing a deal. And as I said before, I understand that from Ottawa, but I also understand exactly why Eisman's not going to, you know, handshake agreement to a trade because he wants to know who he's dealing with and what the, the contract demands are going to be specifically. I don't completely disagree with not selling for pennies on the dollar to a divisional rival, but it does seem a little bit like Dorian is letting the clock run out here. He has a time limit. You know, the ARB hearings are coming up and the qualifying dates are coming up. And once that goes through, Ottawa's in a real bad spot because teams cannot negotiate an extension with him until January 1st, which means to break it only becomes a deadline rental. Which, now here's where it gets murky. If Eisenman's really lowballing, Ottawa could sit here and go, we know what the market for deadline rentals is, and we're actually going to do better there, so we're just going to hold out until then. And obviously then it's not as much, a, not as significant of a cap hit, which means then maybe some of the more competitive teams can afford him, even if it's not with an extension. So it's not like Ottawa has no leverage here, but odds are value goes down the further this goes. Now the flip to this is now that we have the context of this draft being in the rear view mirror and, and all that, Eisenman can't miss this summer. He can't, he's got an opportunity to get a significant top six goal scorer, something the Red Wings desperately need, something the team barely addressed in the draft. This remains a huge problem for the organization. And I know we talked about it enough, and I know we talked about how Eisenman doesn't necessarily have to do it this summer. He's just got to do it before the Red Wings plan on being competitive. So he's got a bit of time. But it's also worth noting, the Red Wings are not one Alex to bring it away. 
They need multiple players of this caliber. You know, they they are going to out-depth teams and they have done a phenomenal job of building this organization in every position and, you know, up and down the lineup, left wing, right wing, defense, whatever. They have a ton of good options. Their bottom six forwards, when out there, rival the bottom six of almost any team in the NHL. But you don't win in your bottom six. That's not getting you cups. That's going to help you help and support your top players. And, you know, we were looking at the Red Wings depth chart before we started recording. They basically have three third lines right now. They have a first line with a significant hole at left wing. And then they have a third line, a third line, and another third line. Now their third, their true third line is probably a above average league third line. Their fourth line is a very above average league fourth line versus how the roster is shaping up right now. Their second line is tragic compared to league average second lines. Debrinket solves a lot of problems and then they need to go get another Alex Debrinket. So if Iserman negotiates so hard that Ottawa takes a mediocre deal elsewhere, that's a huge miss. I also want to say that uh, this trade could still happen. Like it, it could. It like absolutely could. Boston's first next year. Maybe they relent and let Detroit talk to Debrinket about contract. They realize that because of all the reasons Brad laid out, the value is going down. It could still happen. So with that said, yeah, I, I agree, Brad, that Eisenman has to go out and do start to do things. I don't think it all has to happen this offseason. Or I should better say it can't. Like, there's just not the assets out there to make it all happen this offseason. I would like Debrinket to come, but if it's going to be... It makes more sense for Eisenman to play hardball here than Dorian. Like if Eisenman doesn't flinch, then that's fine. Debrink it could very well come over uh, for free in a year. That might not happen. Look up here, Luke Dubois. We thought he was stamped to Montreal, and there he is on a long-term LA King now. But still, it does leave concern as to where the scoring is going to come from. That is a larger conversation for the rest of the offseason. Yeah, a hundred percent. And you know, I, I didn't want to come off as like. You know, this this is a massive failure. We're not there yet. We don't know what the price Ottawa's asking is. If Debrinket does get traded elsewhere, what he gets traded for and what his new contract looks like could will very heavily sway our opinion on this whole process. Because if some team trades two first and then gives them $8.75 million a year, I'm very happy the Red Wings passed on that. But if he goes elsewhere for a late first round pick and gets like $8 million a year, that's a huge miss for the Red Wings. Because this is a rare circumstance. He's got a very limited group of teams he's willing to negotiate with. He's one year away from UFA. And, like, you know, let's call a spade a spade. How many times does an NHL player put five teams on their list of destination and Detroit's on it? Oh, this is the first time since the Red Wings playoff era that a player has wanted to come to Detroit. A it, good player. Yeah, like a legit top-end player has had Detroit on his list. And then you look at the other four teams who either A, have absolutely no cap space to make it work, and then the one other team is going into a rebuild. Like, this is such a rare and unique circumstance, which is why it makes absolute total sense Eisenman's playing hardball. But there has to be a limit on that. Obviously, he's got to push Dorian to the brink because... You know, a desperate Dorian probably gives Detroit a better deal. But if it comes down to Dorian's not blinking and the cost isn't unreasonable, Eisenman's got to do it. But we've heard all these legendary stories about what a grinder Eisenman is, and he just doesn't flinch. Like, it's okay to flinch every once in a while, right? Like, 
just a little bit. So, you know, he did it on the Larkin contract and nobody's complaining, mm-hmm. right? Everybody's happy. And I, I'm hoping this situation plays out. Like he grinded Larkin and it went down to the wire and they kind of met in the middle. Larkin obviously got closer to what he wanted versus what Eisenman initially offered, but it was still a deal everybody was happy with. And I'm hoping that's the ultimate outcome here on Debrinkit. That's what I am imagining to be the case. Unless Debrinkit actually relents and set and offers more teams that he'd be willing to sign long-term with, but I just don't see that being the case. I, I can't pretend to know the guy. That would be like a, a twist in the whole thing that would just change it all. But as of right now, the circumstances, as yeah. you laid out, Brad, it's just the direction we're moving in. Personally, if it happens in a year, it happens in a year. But the Red Wings are going to be hard-pressed to score again this year if at least something doesn't change. We'll see how free agency goes, though. It, and it's worth noting, teams are catching on to the shit that's out there in the NHL. Look how weak this free agent group is. And that is not by accident because teams know you got to It is so hard to get your players so they're overpaying to keep them when they have them. So I don't think there's going to be many summers we're sitting here looking at a free agency group where there's players of Alex Dabrinkit's caliber there. And and that's going to be, that might be the new reality of the NHL where players like that go to UFA way less frequently than they have historically. Breaking news at the end of the episode, it sounds from Darren Drager, it sounds like Al Murray's days as longtime director of amateur scouting for the Tampa Bay Lightning are over. Sources say Lightning scouts were informed after the draft. Murray has been offered a consulting role, but is also free to speak with other clubs. Al Murray was a guy that Steve Eisman tried to bring over when he came as GM, so I would not be surprised if he tries to get him in Detroit in some capacity. Chris Draper is obviously a director of amateur scouting, so that position's filled, but Eisman speaks highly or thinks highly of Al Murray, so... It's interesting. I'm, yeah. I'm not the type of guy I would have thought would have lost his job. But then again, I haven't paid super close attention to Tampa draft picks over the last few years. So Yeah, interesting. So uh, we mentioned free agency. Eisenman will be very open. He's looking for a right-handed defenseman. Yeah, they just drafted Sandine Pelica, but he's not going to be ready right now. They need a backup goalie. They're going to try to find scoring. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to be back with you on Monday night, barring something insane happening over the weekend, in which case we might have to record an emergency episode, but we're going to be back with you Monday night to recap at least what maybe the start of free agency has given us. If there's a trade, if there's uh, uh, signings, whatever, that's what we're going to do. And uh, we're also going to be continuing this draft conversation. So yes, this is our 2023 NHL draft recap of the Red Wings draft class and a little bit about the league. Future episodes, we're going to go into deeper dives on the players. We're going to be giving other teams their draft grades. We're going to be dissecting and digesting and maybe letting th- some things simmer and then revisiting some of our opinions from before. And we're going to be taking all the insults that have been hurled at us. Where uh, Evan and I are actually going to strap Brad to a chair, clockwork orange style, and just make him read out all the mean comments rather than us having to do it. Um, and then that's going to be an ongoing conversation over the course of the summer. That said... Thank you for tuning into our draft content. Let's jump into overtime here, which again is proudly brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. If you want to support the show for all the reasons I mentioned at the top of the show, plus you get access to our winged wheel podcast exclusive discord. You get uh, access to our overtime bonus episodes, which record right after these main ones. And you're automatically entered into all of our giveaways. Uh, Last season, we gave away two tickets to every Red Wings home game. A uh, vast majority going to Patreon supporters, and we'll be doing the same next season as well. All right, co- uh, comment here from Jonathan Melwish says, uh, so outside of the wings, are there teams 
teams drafts who you like for where they are in terms of their rebuild. Hurts to say, but Chicago did some work. This draft, I really like what Chicago did, especially you, you walk away with Connor Bedard, you're happy. But you get Oliver Moore as well at 19, like that's a haul. Uh, Buffalo getting Benson where they did was at 13th. 13th overall for Zach Benson. That's great value. And the Rangers getting Gabe Perot at 23rd. Like, that could be really great. Well. Before they ruined the prospect, <laughs> yeah. Um, I Relative to where they were picking, I really like what Carolina and Seattle do. I always like what Carolina does because their draft philosophy is very similar to what how I would handle it. So, of course, I'm always going to grade that. But it looks like Seattle did a lot of that too. They they both these teams took a lot of high upside swings despite picking not picking till later in the draft, uh later in the first round and both of them look like they got some pretty decent bets to walk away with some with some players here considering they were both playoff teams last year. CJ Wilkinson says what reason do you suppose the Red Wings took Danielson over Oliver Moore? Personally when I saw Oliver Moore was still available I was thinking we'd get him. Uh, Danielson one fits the player type that the Red Wings really look for high floor, hard to play against. Um, Oliver Moore also slipped all the way to 19. So whatever the Red Wings thought or didn't think of him, a lot of other teams fell in the same range. At least the Red Wings felt it twice. Yeah, that's right. Norris Sider says some rumors have been floated that Eisenman was prepared to send nine 17 and Willinder or an equivalent prospect to Montreal for fifth overall. But Montreal backed out in the end. Have you guys heard anything reputable to support this? And if so, I think it's safe to say we've developed a new division rival. Uh, I was hearing prior to the draft that the Red Wings were among the teams trying to move up. Someone mentioned to me that the offer was something like that. Someone mentioned to me that it didn't include it didn't include nine and seventeen. Um, they tried to use other picks, so I, I can't say for certain what the picks were, but I know it was a substantial offer. And Montreal turned down like four or five teams, so it wasn't just Detroit. For Reinbacher, eh? Well, they thought if they moved down to like nine that they wouldn't get him. Yeah, no, they were probably right, but, you know, they probably could have got just as talented player. <laughs> Bruce Boudreaux's Nuclear Warensky Shire Barbecue Sauce says, it looks like Eisman didn't draft for current team needs for the most part at least. Are we seeing signs that the rebuild is extending multiple years? I don't know that a draft can necessarily inform on where you are in the rebuild i think the rebuild is probably where it was where we thought it were where we thought it was at the end of last season for I'd example say, i would argue that nate danielson might be one of the more nhl ready prospects in this draft yeah not that i think he is but i compared to his peers i would say relatively speaking he's closer than a lot of them he's not playing tomorrow for sure no but uh, he is closer so, I don't know. I, I wouldn't be surprised if there is a conversation about, is this rebuild taking longer? I think it might not mesh well, puzzle piece-wise, as to how Eisenman handled last offseason with the spending. But I don't think this draft is necessarily like the litmus test for that. Aaron says, I know Danielson was not your guys' first pick at ninth, but that you like Sandine Pelico a lot. Would your thoughts on the first round be better or worse if the players were picked in the opposite order? Yes. Yeah, it, it honestly would be. <laughs> well, that's why I walked away saying, like, I'm happy with this first round because it, it doesn't much matter. It, it matters somewhat because the players who were there. And I There's think, certainly context involved. Sure, but you, in the end, I was like, they walked away with Sandine Pelico and they walked away with Danielson. If you told me that without telling me the order, I probably would have yeah. assumed the inverse. Well, not necessarily because I, I thought Danielson would go high. 
uh, personally, I would glean that it would be the inverse. But yeah, I, I think a lot of people would be left happier. Squid734 says, what player not drafted in the first round would be a fan favorite if they pan out? Unironically, Brady Cleveland. Yes. If Brady Cleveland becomes an everyday 5-6 guy who's a boomer, shuts down the opposing team's uh, uh, play in his defensive zone, kills penalties, and hits them to high heaven and punches them in the face, Brady Cleveland would be a fan favorite if he panned out. <laughs> You're not wrong. Yeah, right? You're not wrong. <laughs> I thought Brad, I wasn't sure I, Brad was going to kill me so there. So did I. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's a, he's the exact type of guy fans love. Yeah. Uh, Noah Dover Nielsen as well. Yeah, we love our Swedes. Also, a German friend for Mo Sider. You cannot be mad at that if that uh, if he pans out. All right, uh, more questions here. Will Bukima. Am I saying that right? Will Bukima? Will, correct me if I'm wrong. Only ever seen it in text. Couldn't I know. <laughs> Says, uh, uh, now that he's a wing, can you talk about the realistic timeline for uh, Axel Sandin Pelica and his floor slash ceiling based on the roster around him? What's his impact on the rebuild? If both were available at the same draft pick, would each of you have taken him over David Reinbacher? Yes, I would have taken him over David Reinbacher. I My first guess is he's going to spend one more year in the SHL. He will come over, play one year in Grand Rapids. And then I think at that point after that season, we're talking about is he or isn't he ready might need a second year, but I don't think he will because I, I, just the way he plays adapts well. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna say two years, one SHL, one AHL, and then and the, he'll take a real run at the roster. And for ceiling, I I think his range of outcomes is pretty wide. Yeah, I agree. Um, someone sent me an upside comparable today, and I loved it so much. I hated that I didn't think of it first. Just like an undersized defenseman who defends really well but the offense is significant Chris Letang oh that's a good one that is a really good one and I'm so upset I didn't think about that uh, beforehand but yeah that is what I think Sandin Pelica's ultimate upside is and obviously he's playing with Crosby Malkin I don't think Sandin Pelica will have that luxury but you know same type of player same skill set and then uh, floor, I mean, it's a 5'11 defenseman. It's not, not unreasonable to think he, he may never make it. I'd say that's a pretty long shot. He, I'm way more confident in him to be an impact NHLer than not. But First name I think of the floor is Eric Brandstrom. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that's particularly likely, but it's possible. That's the only one I can think of. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I agree. It's, there's a wide range of outcomes. And how he impacts the the rebuild i think this is a a rare confluence where the exact right player you need comes in at the exact right time without sacrificing another high-end pick they had a second first round pick the pick came from a trade where they dealt a a second pairing guy uh who is that's the role he's going to fill so yeah i I think this is like is it going to move the rebuild up a year no but it certainly could have been worse if they couldn't come across a player like axel sandine pelica and i don't think necessarily it's easy to come by those guys. Uh, a couple more here. Coyote season tickets in anywhere but Tempe says, do you think the trade list first round will remain an anomaly or become the status quo? No, that was weird. I, that's an anomaly. I think that was just because of the strength of this draft. Everybody had a player they really liked still on the board at their pick, so they just weren't inclined to trade out of it. You know, for all the, it's second round, but for all the dumping we did on Brady Cleveland, the Red Wings did trade back because they knew he was still going to be there. They didn't have anybody at that point on their board, they loved. 
Otherwise, they wouldn't have traded back. So the first round was just that perfect storm of it's a really good draft. Lists vary, and every team was super happy with uh, who fell to their pick. CNOT says, how do you feel about trying to go grab Turcotte? Is he, uh, he's getting buried in the depth chart in LA. Uh, they're getting Dubois, just pushed him further back. Could get him for cheap. That's interesting. Yeah, he's battled injuries. Hasn't panned out to what everybody thought he would be. I don't know where the Red Wings are at on reclamation projects anymore. We'll find out with Yamamoto tomorrow, I guess. Um, but yeah, he seems like a decent bet. But I also feel like LA knows that, so they're not going to let him go super cheap. And I'll take one more question randomly here says uh, from give me a contract boys says, Hey guys, it was fun to listen in during day two today. Looking at the draft. I believe that Bedard's comment on Danielson pushed him above some of the other players that were available at nine Draper even mentioned it in his post day one interview. Do you think that made the difference made them more certain or it didn't matter? And if Bedard says he's a super high offensive talent, it has to mean something, right? Yeah, but players of Bedard's caliber, they see things like that. They know what's going on on the ice at all times. It's really hard to appreciate everything they can process on the ice, including their opponents. So that's not nothing. I don't think it swayed the Red Wings decision. I think it probably eased their mind a little bit because I'm being honest, if a team is making a ninth overall pick based on what a 17-year-old says, I am deeply concerned about their drafting process. Yeah, I think, like you said, Brad, a player that's smart in that high end, him thinking that about an opponent, not a teammate, yeah, that you do take notice of that, but it doesn't decide for you. I don't think it moves you up a list, but if they thought, yeah, this guy seems like he's tough to play against, and oh, the literal best junior player on the planet thinks he's tough to play against, then yeah, you were correct in thinking so. There was a lot of hard-hitting questions asked uh, in the draft interviews, particularly around military execution, so... <laughs> Um, I think they should continue to use those hard-hitting questions to really dig deep on uh, a prospect's personality and, and what they're all about. Uh, Nate Danielson, skill-testing question. What do you call the military strategy in which there was a barrage of artillery while the uh, uh, the military tunneled underground in order to try to take away the German uh, hill vantage that they had? No, anyways. What are your thoughts on the Schlieffen plan? <laughs> That's for a future episode. And time for a couple Reddit questions here. Uh, Jonathan Erickson says, uh, what are your thoughts on the lack of forward selections? Furthermore, do you guys agree or disagree on the thought process of drafting not one but two goalies not two years after trading up for Kosa at 15th overall? Thanks. Lack of forwards, uh, as I talked about, I don't like that. I felt like swings needed to be made. Uh, The two goalies thing I don't care about. I I like that approach, actually, because goalies are so weird and develop at such weird rates, hit rates and timelines that, you know, having a bunch in the system is never a bad thing. But when they do develop, carry a pretty nice premium on the trade market if you do end up hitting on more than one. And a comment here from Henlick Zetterbark says, if Anderson is not big on Dvorsky, then I'm not big on Dvorsky. And that's a really good point. Hakan Anderson would have had a lot of exposure to Dalibor Dvorsky and would that the European scouting team would know well. So, you know, for example, Dvorsky was higher on my list. If they thought he was the right pick, he would have been the pick because that team does get the vote of confidence. So it's a really good point to make. We did bring that up on the stream today that every Euro they didn't pick is a reflection on what Hakan Anderson thought. And in future, we'll take uh, more Reddit questions as well. But for now, uh, because the episode is running long, thank you to all who submitted. Okay, folks, this one's running long. We are going to try to take a little break before we're back with you on Monday night. So it's a little, (laughs) I know, I know, I'm tempting fate here. 
I'm going to have my mic with me. Thank you all so much for tuning into draft coverage. It it really means the world. It's a grind, but it's a fun grind and one that we love to do. We joke that we say we hope it doesn't have to be this big of a deal because it means the Red Wings are better. But as long as this is the case, we do have a lot of fun with it. So all the draft profiles, five hours of streaming yesterday, another four plus today. And then, you know, the the pre-show or the, the pre-draft primer in this episode being insanely long, like this is fun for us and we can only do it because you guys allow us to. So thank you all so much for tuning in to all of our uh, new listeners. Welcome. Uh, the episodes aren't always this long, but they are maybe always this unhinged and to our, all of our listeners of old, thank you so much for, for tuning in continuously. It means the world to us, uh, to all of our patrons. You're the reason this show happens and to all of our name level supporters on Patreon. We want to thank you. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sergeron foundation, ache for, uh, Samuel Sorter, Solder, sorry, Soderholm, brand new name level sponsor. I'm sorry for butchering your name there, Samuel, but welcome to the Dub Dub Club. Raymond's Missing Tooth, Icon, Brad's Lord and Savior, Bradley Cleveland, Glenn Brabham, uh, Emil Stahl, brand new name level sponsor, welcome. Marcus Nolang, Nicholas Brodeen, and Glenn, Glenn Allen, brand new name level sponsors. Keenan O'Donoghue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, Cider for Norris, Croner's Left Knee, Admiral Matt S. of the Cheesebag Navy, Babelandis Cog, Carl Brutina Nanaluski, Carzone 13, brand new name level supporter. Welcome to the Dub Dub Club. Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Cooking with Kosa, Coyote Season Tickets and Anywhere But Tempe, Craig Kibble, welcome to the Dub Dub Club, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood Fight Probert, Hockey Town Love, Hockey Town Matt, Hassam Al Qasem. If you're happy and you know it, look up from your phone. Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kaylin Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Marcus, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, Prashanth, the goalie truther, Ayer Zerman, RA, Red Three, Ryan Big Brass Ones Hannah, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, that's what I appreciate about you. The Mexanadian brand new name level sponsor. Welcome. So uh welcome to the Dub Dub Club and thank you so much for your support. Wallman's Elite Dancing D, Iser Plan, Stan, brand new name level supporter, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, number one Red Guys fan, A.A. Ron, Adam Rose, All-American Reed, Big Cheese, great name, and welcome to the Dub Dub Club. Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Captain Antonio Gracias of the United Federation of Cheesebags, Chuck Buffchest, the Tarpless Goon, C.J. Wilkinson, Commander Ben Barron of the Cheesebag Space Force, Connor, welcome to the Dub Dub Club, Connor Leighton, Corey Preta, Darren Fick, Dungeon Master of Puppets, Frank Stanley, Gene Sullivan, Grand Rapids Hockey Guy, Griffey Boy, Instructions Unclear, Cheesebag No Longer Fresh, James Laporte, James Pridemore, Welcome to the Dub Dub Club, Jeremiah Dobo, JM Rhapsody, John Evans, John Engels, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Nora Sider, Ophelia, Pavel Duck Soup, Ryan Hanna's Big Brass Ones, Shahid Syed, Welcome to the Dub Dub Club, Steven, Tatarsas, The Hodag, The Hat123, and your second favorite patron. Thank you all so much. For all the new sponsors and all the new members of the Dub Dub Club, thank you. And folks, we'll be back with you after free agency starts. Let's see what happens. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.